watching on TV these days, but I know what I've been watching on TV. You'd actually probably never expect it. Um, on our Apple TV, I pull up YouTube, and what I've been watching like almost nonstop for the past two weeks is magic tricks, okay? Have you guys ever seen magic tricks? Someone on YouTube doing magic tricks? It's crazy. So they'll do these card tricks and then they'll like pull like an ace out of nowhere and then their card will change or they'll like bend a card. One of my favorite ones is where they like take this card and they have to guess what card it is and then that magician gets it wrong and they do it on purpose and then they're like, oh, you know what? I actually forgot. It, it magically traveled and it's under your watch and then they look and it's under their watch the whole time. And it's crazy. It's the card they signed or whatever. So anyway, I've been watching a lot of magic, magic tricks, but there's something that I never do after I watch magic tricks. Something that I've just never done, which would be a weird thing, but it's this. I never stop watching those magic tricks and think, you know what? I need to change my entire life to become a magician. I've just never had that thought. Have you ever had that thought? You want to become a magician? Well, probably not. Well, that would be weird and that'd be awkward because you know what you're watching those magic tricks for, just like I do. It's just to have fun. It's just entertainment. And when you view it that way, the magic tricks are cool because you know, oh, well, they're doing a trick and it's amazing and it's entertaining. But when you're done watching it, you put it away and you forget about it. Well, the problem is some things are amazing and they're more than magic tricks and they're meant to do more than entertain. And today, what we're going to talk about from the Gospel of John is a bunch of people who looked at the things Jesus was doing and they were amazing things. He was healing people of sicknesses. He was doing things that they'd say, wow, like that's like a magic trick. There's no way that's even possible. And they were amazed by it. But instead of responding to Jesus the way Jesus wanted them to respond, they basically turned the TV off, walked away from Jesus and said, that was, that was fun entertainment, but I'm not going to do anything about what you did. And, and what I want to do is I wanted to look at two miracles tonight. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at two different miracles that Jesus does tonight. And I want to talk about why Jesus does them. I think sometimes when we look at, I mean, this is the first healing miracle we're going to look at. Sometimes when we when people look at these miracles, they're like, wow, Jesus healed these people. I want Jesus to heal me. I want Jesus to do a miracle for me. Well, I think it's important for us to understand what these miracles are. And before we even turn to the passage, and this is something we basically never do, but we're going to do it tonight. I want you to write down point number one before we even open our Bible. I want you to write down this point for point number one. I want you to understand the healing miracles of Jesus. I just want to figure this out, right? We want to understand the healing miracles of Jesus. That's point number one. Once you write that down, you actually have four subpoints under that. And this is kind of by way of introduction, understanding what is Jesus even doing when he's healing people? Why does he even do it? Well, the first thing is kind of an obvious one. When he heals people, a lot of times the passages say that he sees people that are sick. He sees people that are in trouble and he heals them because he feels bad for them. He feels compassion. He feels love for them. And that's a good thing. It's on a surface level, but that's the first thing. I want you to write this down for that first subpoint. Um, healings are acts of grace for people. They're acts of grace, okay? They're, they're nice things that Jesus does for people. They're, they're helpful. It's not the only thing they're for, and this is kind of the most surface level thing. When Jesus heals somebody, it's not because he hates them, it's because he loves them. He's doing something helpful for them. Okay, here's what Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 says. It says, when Jesus went ashore, when he was on the lake, he saw this big crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick, okay? And that's the obvious thing. Everybody says, oh, why did Jesus do miracles? Well, to help people. That's letter A. That's the first thing. But there's more to it than that. Here's the second thing. Um, Jesus heals people to show that he's powerful. You can write this down for that second subpoint. Uh, these healings show Jesus's power. They show Jesus's power. And here's what's so amazing about this. People did miracles before Jesus ever came on the scene. People 
with the power of God, did amazing things. If you think in the Old Testament, you can remember the story of, um, remember uh, Elijah and Elisha, the miracles they did? They, each one of them raised a different boy from the dead. There was a kid that was dead and they raised them from the dead. Well, here's the problem. The Bible does not say that they raised them from the dead. It says that God raised them from the dead. So every time there's been a miracle before Jesus, they have been doing this in God's power. In fact, they haven't really been doing anything. They've just been like Moses holding up his staff and then God does the miracle, okay? Here's the difference in the miracles we see that Jesus does. Jesus is the one who's actually doing them. He has the power to do them. Here's the difference. It's like if you maybe went into a bank and you had a, a check from your parents and you gave, you know, this big check for $1,000 to the bank, you can go in and cash that check, but it really came from them, right? The power really came from your parents. It didn't come from you. You're just giving the piece of paper. You're just the messenger. The people before Jesus who did miracles in the Bible, they're just like messengers. They didn't have the power in themselves. God had to do the miracle. Here's the difference with Jesus. Jesus does miracles by his own power. And that's what he's going to see today. There's two miracles we're going to look at today. And both of them show his power. One time, he heals someone from a long ways away. He's not even there, right? What does that show? Jesus has power to heal even if he's not around. Even if he's not in the general area. He doesn't have to touch them. He doesn't have to do anything. Jesus has all the power that God has. And he can do anything. Just like God can do anything, Jesus can do anything. The second one is a guy who is disabled and he doesn't even want to be healed. He never has faith in Jesus to be healed. Jesus just heals him. So he's not limited by anything. He shows his power. Okay, that's the second thing. The third thing, just before we get started here tonight, the third thing is these healings, they preview something. They preview, they show us a preview of Jesus's perfect kingdom. Back when I was your age, uh, there were previews. Every, every time you went to watch a movie, I guess this is still true, um, but it was really cool back then. Um, whenever you go to watch a movie in person, there's previews that show before the movie, that show other movies. They don't tell you everything that's going to happen, but they do give you a snippet, right? You're introduced to the characters. You get to see what actor is playing that movie. You kind of get to see what the genre of the movie is, whether it's an action movie or a love story. You kind of get a preview, okay? The healing miracles that Jesus does are really a preview to what the kingdom is going to be like. It's what heaven's going to be like. And think about this. When Jesus heals people, okay, what happened to them after they were healed? We're going to read about a guy who was lame, who could not walk. He was paralyzed and Jesus healed him. Did he live forever? Do his legs work right now? They don't. He died, right? And his legs stopped working. That's what happens when you die. Everything stops working, right? Well, there's a guy earlier, a boy who was sick and Jesus heals him. Re- you realize that that boy does not live right now in his body that he used to, like he's dead. That boy died because he lived 2,000 years ago, right? Just like everybody grows up, grows old, and they die. So here's the thing. These healings were just like a temporary thing that Jesus was kind of just showing us a preview of what the eternal kingdom is going to be like when there's no disease, no sickness, none of that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, it'd be good if you wrote this passage down under letter C. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist was concerned that Jesus might not be who he said he was. He was concerned, so he sent people to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one of the Old Testament? Or should we look for another person? And here's what Jesus said. Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame, people who can't walk, they're now walking. Lepers, people who have a skin disease, they're cleansed. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So, 
Jesus is saying to John the Baptist's disciples who come to him, he says, hey, you might not think I'm the Messiah. Well, look at all the things I'm doing. I'm doing all the things that the Messiah does. I'm doing all the things that God does. So clearly he's previewing this kingdom. So that's the third reason Jesus does miracles, okay? The fourth thing that we can learn about these miracles before we ever even look at them is this. This is letter D that you can write down. Healings didn't always result in faith. They did not always result in faith. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus does miracles for people. He does miracles for two people in the story we're gonna read today. One for this boy who's maybe... 10, 11, 12 years old. And then another for a guy who's a full grown, grown up. He might even be an old man. Well, one of them believes in Jesus afterwards and one of them doesn't. So sometimes in our minds, whenever we think of the miracles in the Bible, we think that what had to happen first is the person had to believe in Jesus for him to do something amazing. Okay. That's not the case. That's just not true. Jesus does miracles. One of the miracles he does with a guy who never even believed in him. A guy who was healed walked away and never believed in Jesus. He got all these good things from Jesus and he never actually embraced Jesus. So those are four things just before we get started. So I want you finally to look in your Bibles. Let's look at John chapter four. Let's look at verse 46. We're gonna see this first miracle. You might see it in your Bible. It says, Jesus heals an official's son. So this important guy in the government. So it says this, he came to Cana in Galilee. Remember where he was before? He was in Samaria, talking to the woman at the well. It says where he had made water wine. Remember that story we went over recently where Jesus turned this whole group of water. So we had these trash cans up here. So imagine if all these trash cans got filled with water and Jesus just immediately turned them into wine just by his thinking about it. So this is the same city that took place in. It says there was an official in Capernaum whose son was ill. Was ill, And the city of Capernaum was down the hill. It was far away. It's about 15, 20 miles away from where Cana was. So a long ways away. He hears that Jesus is back in town, back in Cana. So when he heard that Jesus, this is verse 47, had come up from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Okay. This seems like a good scene. Somebody believes in Jesus. They're trusting in Jesus. They want to go to Jesus and ask for help. Look at verse 48. What does Jesus turn around and say? He says, verse 48, and Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay? He says, unless I do a miracle, you are not going to believe. Well, here's the thing. Our Bibles don't show this because our language doesn't let us show this, but that word you does not just mean you, as in you singular. What that word you is, is like the word y'all, okay? You know the word y'all? Right, what does the word y'all mean? You all, right? It means you're from Texas is also what it means, right? If I said y'all, you'd be freaked out. You'd be like, John, you never lived in Texas. You can't use that word. You're right. I can't use that word. So anyway, y'all, what that means is you all. So if I said y'all came tonight, right? Let's, let's practice our, our, our hoedown, right? Um, if y'all came tonight, right? What does that mean? Does that just mean you came? No, that means you all came to church tonight, right? You all. That's what he's saying here. He's not just saying you, the official, you won't believe unless you see a sign. He says you all. All the people that were around him at this point in time says, you all won't believe unless you see a miracle. Look at verse 49. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies, right? Remember, they're on this, this city that's on a hill. Capernaum is 15 miles away, down the hill. He says, come down to my house and heal my son. Notice what you see this guy's faith is like right here. First of all, there's some good things here, right? This guy believes that maybe Jesus can do something about this problem. He knows his son is sick. He's heard that Jesus has done miracles before. 
he thinks, you know what? Maybe he can do something about it. But notice that this faith is not like really good faith. This is not an f- example of faith we want to follow. Because notice, first of all, he thinks that Jesus actually has to come to the house to be able to heal him. You notice that? You might not think about it, but he says, come down to the house and heal him. And Jesus actually never goes. Okay? Does that mean Jesus doesn't love him? Does that mean Jesus is not going to heal him? No. But just notice that shows something about this guy. He believes Jesus a little bit. Right? And as the story goes on, he starts to believe in Jesus more and more and more. But the first thing is he doesn't really believe Jesus can heal him from a distance. Okay? Second thing, he thinks that Jesus has to heal him before he dies. Think about that. He's saying you have to come to the house before he dies. Because once he dies, you've got no power. Right? You realize you're talking to Jesus here. Right? Jesus is a guy who's later on in the passage, he's going to raise a guy from the dead. One of his friends named Lazarus. He shows up to a funeral and his other friends are like, hey, I wish you would have come earlier because Lazarus died. And Jesus says, hold on a minute. I am the resurrection and the life and I can raise people from the dead. And that's what he does. So his faith, this guy's faith is okay. It's not great, but it's okay. So Jesus talks to him and says, go. This is verse 50. Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay, so before the man came, does he believe in Jesus, right? A little bit, right? Then Jesus talks to him and says, your son's gonna live. Then how much does he believe in Jesus? A little bit more, right? Keep reading. His faith only grows. Look what happens in verse uh, 51. It says, as he was going down, he's going down the hill, his servants met him. They come running out and they told him that his son was recovering. So now how much do you think he believes? He believes even more now. And then he asks a clarifying question. He says, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him. Okay, the seventh hour, that means 1 p.m. These cities are pretty far apart. We think that maybe he left early in the morning on this one day, goes and meets Jesus, talks to him at 1 p.m., right? That'd be a long journey, like a six-hour journey up this hill. Then he comes back down. Maybe it's late at night and he meets the servants coming on the way up. And he asks, hey, what time did he get better? What time did he actually start recovering? He doesn't even say what time did he get better. He says, what time did he start to recover? And he says it was the seventh hour. The fever left him. It didn't just get better a little bit. He didn't just start to feel better. He got better immediately, right away. Verse 53, check this out. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. What do you see about his belief? It goes from a little bit to more, to more, to more, to more. Till finally, it seems like he and his whole family become Christians after this. That this amazing thing that they see, they have more faith in Jesus afterwards because of this. Now verse 54 says, this was the second sign that Jesus did in Galilee. Remember we talked about signs. What do signs do? They point, they point us to something else and they point us to realize something amazing about Jesus. And I want us to see this guy and I want to realize that this official and his family followed this pattern of belief. They believed in Jesus a little bit and the more they got to know Jesus, they believed in him more and more and more. I want you to write this down for point number two. This is what I think we should do about this. Um, We want to move from shallow belief, believe in him a little bit, to personal trust in Jesus. That's what happened with this guy. He had a shallow belief in Jesus to start and it just got deeper and deeper and deeper the more he got to know Jesus. How's that apply to you? Well, you might be like this guy in a way. You've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've never known him personally, but you know about Jesus. You've heard that he can save people of their sins. You've heard that he can get people out of hell. You've heard that he can keep people from ever going to hell. That's what I meant. You've maybe heard that 
he's able to forgive people in such a way where now they can live a whole new life of living for him and living obediently. You've maybe heard all those things, and most of you have, right? That's kind of like this guy, right? He had heard about Jesus. He had heard maybe from the Samaritans. He maybe heard from the people in Cana who found out Jesus did a miracle. You've heard about Jesus. Maybe you even believe that Jesus could do something about those problems, right? I just listed a couple problems there, that Jesus could forgive your sins. Maybe you believe, yeah, I know Jesus could do that. Maybe you think, well, Jesus could save me or Jesus could save them. I, I believe that, right? Here's the problem, okay? That level of belief right there, that's a little bit of belief, but notice something. The Bible says that even the demons believe that much, okay? James 2, 19, which is a good passage for you to write down. Here's what it says. It says, you believe that God is one. If you believe in God, right, that's a great thing. It says, you do well. But even the demons believe. And their response is not to say, oh yeah, I believe in God, I go to church. Their, their response is, no, the demons believe and they shudder because they know who God is. You know, it's funny, when Jesus encountered demons in the, in the gospels, you know what they all say? They all try to tell everybody who he is. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you telling people who I am. I don't want you sharing that yet. I don't want that to come from me and my disciples, not you. And here's ultimately, I think, how this applies to us. Maybe you believe that Jesus could save you, okay? That's different than trusting in Jesus to save you. Does that make sense? That's different. You can believe in your head that Jesus might be a savior, right? But it's different to actually put your trust in him, your full trust, just like you're leaning on him completely, right? It's like, you know, have you guys ever seen the trust falls? You know what I'm talking about? Those trust falls where people like, you know, put their arms out and they fall down and then people like catch them, right? There's a difference between trusting you because I trust that you guys would be able to catch me, okay? I, I believe you guys could, but you know what? I don't trust you that much. I probably wouldn't fall off the stage. If I got like five of you up here and you, I'm not asking for volunteers, I'm not gonna do this actually. But if you came up here, like I believe that like, I bet you could save me from falling, but no offense, like, I probably wouldn't trust you enough to fall, right? You understand the difference there? It's the same thing with Jesus, right? You might trust Jesus a little bit to say, yeah, I believe he might be able to save people from their sin, but I don't know if he's gonna save me. I don't trust him to save me, right? What I want you to, to do tonight is I want you to keep taking that deeper. If you believe in Jesus a little bit, you believe that he could save people. I want you tonight, not just to believe that about people and believe that in general, I want you to ask him to save you tonight. I want you to trust in him tonight because if you really believe that he can and he will, if you don't put your trust in him, you're just like the demons. They believe Jesus can save people. They know Jesus can save people, but they don't trust him. They turn from him and they don't want to have anything to do with him. In fact, Jesus said to Thomas at the end of the gospel of John, he was that guy, Thomas was that guy who wouldn't believe in Jesus until he saw like his hands and his feet. Remember that story, right? Where he goes up to his disciples and he's like, I'll never believe Jesus rose from the dead unless I see him with my own eyes. And then Jesus shows up and shows him his hands, his feet shows him, hey, it's me. And he finally gets it and he, he acknowledges that Jesus is God. Jesus turns around and says this, okay? This is important for us to catch. Jesus says this in John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and have yet believed. Right? Any one of you who becomes a Christian, right, you've not seen Jesus like Thomas has seen Jesus. And what he's saying here is blessed, happy. God's gonna make you happy to those people who trust in Jesus even if they don't see him. And we don't see him because he's not here today in a physical way. He's not here, right? 
We see him in the Bible. We trust him. We need to trust him. You need to trust in Jesus, not just to save you, but even think about what this passage is all about. This passage is all about healing, right? You might say, well, when are we going to get to the healing part? Well, think about this. When you become a Christian, you trust in Jesus to save you. What happens at that point? When you become a Christian, Jesus forgives you of your sin. He guarantees eternal life for you. And you know what's included in eternal life? A perfect new body and a perfect new place. You might think, well, wait a minute. Can Jesus heal people today? Well, every time that you get a scratch and it heals, guess what? Guess who's doing the healing, right? It's God every single time. God does all that healing, right? So he heals us. But even if he doesn't heal us here and now, and like we're all going to die one day, we're going to get sick and, and die of something, right? Well, just like we said earlier, these healings are just previews because one day we're going to have perfect health forever. So he is going to heal us forever one day. This guy could have responded a lot of different ways to his son's healing. He could have said, thank you for that. I'll write you a thank you note, but I'm now done with you because that was freaky. I don't know how you did that. He could have responded that way, like responding to a magician or something. That's not how he responded. He responded by trusting in Jesus with his whole life and not just him, his wife, his kids, his extended family, everybody who was in his house trusted in Jesus that day because they saw that amazing thing that Jesus did. That's the right response. Well, I want you to keep reading. Chapter five, verse one. We're gonna read another miracle. This is miracle number two. That's not the right response. Check this out. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he was back in Galilee for a little bit, for like a microsecond. Um, he's probably there for a while, actually, not a microsecond. Um, then he goes back to Jerusalem. This is where he was in chapter three. It says, now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, people who are disabled is another way of, of putting that. People who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. So it seems like at this spot in the city of Jerusalem, there was this pool where all these people who were sick hung out. Just kind of like, you know, in some of our cities, right? There's places where homeless people gather, right? It's kind of how it was back then. You had this group of people, they were gathering in this place by this pool. And look what it says. Uh, look at verse 3. Okay, uh, we already read that. That there was a multitude of invalids. Now, look at verse 4. Everyone, everyone look down at verse 4. Check it out. Do you see it? Do you see it? Anybody see verse 4? Does anybody see verse 4? Raise your hand if you see verse 4. Nobody sees verse 4. Interesting. It's not there. Okay. Would you like me to explain that for a second? Just blew your mind. You're like, wait a minute, there's a Bible verse missing. No, there's not. Um, there was a Bible verse that was added for a long time. There was a Bible verse that was in here that was probably, um, it started out with probably somebody writing down um, the reason why the invalids and all the, the disabled people hung out at this spot. There was this common belief that an angel would come down out of heaven, come to this pool and like touch the pool and touch the water. And if the angel touched the water, you would see the water like vibrating and moving. And the first person who could get in the pool after the water was like vibrating and moving, um, the first person who got in the pool would be healed. Okay. <laughs> it's weird, right? That's not really what went down there, obviously, but 
that is what some people believe. And they put that in the Bible. And, and thankfully, we, we've gotten older manuscripts. And now we know like, okay, that wasn't actually in the Bible to begin with. Um, that was a later edition. So that's why you don't have verse four. So sorry for freaking you out. If you're like, where's verse four? I can't find it. Um, that's why it's not there. So anyway, um, verse five, get into the, the main character of this story. It says, one man was there who had been an invalid, a disabled guy for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew already what had been done. He, he, he knew and that he had already been there a long time. So he knew about this guy. And he said, do you want to be healed? Right? If you are a guy who's been in a wheelchair for your whole life for 38 years, and if someone comes up to you and says, do you want to be healed? I wonder how you would respond to that. Right? Think about it. You'd probably be like, uh, duh, yeah. Or you'd say, uh, no thanks. Or I don't know, whatever you'd say, right? A guy who trusts in Jesus would respond by saying, yes, please heal me, right? Well, look at how this guy responds. Does he respond like that? No, that's not how he responds. He says this in verse seven. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in before me. It's like, it's kind of sad, right? He tries to get in the pool because he thinks that maybe if he jumps in the magic pool, an angel will like magically heal him, right? That's not what went down. And he's like, I'm, I'm bummed because every time I try to get in the pool, right, to get healed, it never works out, right? Obviously, I don't think that many people were healed by jumping in this pool at this certain time, but he doesn't respond the right way. And what, here's what Jesus says. Jesus does not need the pool to save him. He doesn't need an angel to save him. Here's what verse eight says. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk, right? That's kind of a mean thing to say. <laughs> if you ever, it's like someone in a, a wheelchair and saying, hey, get up, right? Hey, get up, get up, get your wheelchair and push it. Like, you'd be like, that's really mean, okay? Like, don't say that to a person in a wheelchair. That's really mean. Right? That's what Jesus is saying to this guy. Think about it. Right? Well, it's not mean. Because if you said that to a person in a wheelchair and you imagine they're sitting in a wheelchair and right when you tell them get up, they have all the power restored in their knees, their, their joints, their ligaments, their arteries, everything. Everything is just working properly immediately and they stand up and they've got perfect legs that work absolutely perfectly. That would be a miracle. That would be a healing. That's exactly what Jesus does. Instantly. This didn't take time. There wasn't some weird like slow motion montage of his legs like getting longer or like muscles like getting stronger. It all happened immediately. Just like Jesus turned water into wine immediately. Just like Jesus healed the boy immediately. He heals this guy's legs immediately. It happens all at once. Remember, it shows Jesus' amazing power. He says, take up your bed, get your mat and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. And you think, wow, that's an awesome story. Well, how does he respond? First of all, John notes something. He says, now this day was the Sabbath. Jesus likes to heal people on the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, hey, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered to them, the man who healed me, uh, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So when, when the, the religious leaders see him carrying this bed, they're like, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do that, right? And the Sabbath was this day of rest that God gave the people, but it was not meant to be treated like this, right? The point of the command was not, hey, you can't take your bed up and walk after you've, you know, been disabled for 38 years. The point was, we don't want you doing your normal, ordinary work. We want you to take a day off. And that's what God established it for. And then these people turned it into something more than it was. And they said, hey, it's not lawful for you to do that. And he, instead of saying, okay, I'm sorry. He's like, hey, it's this dude's fault. This, this, this guy, he healed me. And then look at verse 
12. They asked him, who is this guy? Who is this man who said, you take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. He didn't even remember who Jesus was. Think of it, that's kind of mean. He didn't even ask. It's like, hey, dude, what's your name, right? He didn't even ask who Jesus was. He was just so happy. It says, for Jesus had withdrawn. He got away from that place as there was a crowd there. Verse 14. Afterward, so after this scene, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Now he says something very important. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. That's scary. So whatever happened to this guy to make him disabled, um, it wasn't a birth defect. It wasn't something that happened early on. It was at some point, it was a result of something sinful he did. He says, go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It seems like this guy did something really sinful and God said, nope, you're done. Not allowed to walk anymore. And then later, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. You're healed. Amazing story for this guy. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews, think about this. This is mean. He just tattletales on Jesus right here, right? After not knowing who Jesus was, he goes back and he tells Jesus' enemies, oh, it was Jesus who healed me. And this is why the Jews are persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath and that made them really, really mad. Instead of being happy that he was healed, instead of being happy that this man was healed, the religious leaders rejected Jesus. And you know what's even more sad? This guy himself rejected Jesus. He didn't seek Jesus out. He didn't thank him. He didn't go looking for him. He didn't believe in him. It just said Jesus healed him. He went away and then he tattletale on Jesus, right? Not exactly the response we want to have. The sad part is, this is what happens with a lot of people too. Jesus gives people good gifts and he's probably given you a lot of good gifts. Uh, but if he gives people gifts, he expects people to turn and trust him. He doesn't want you to take his gifts and run away and have fun by yourself and not turn and trust Jesus. He expects us to embrace him. That's point number three. I want you to write this down for point number three. Embrace Jesus not just his gifts. Embrace Jesus, not just his gifts. And ultimately, that's the problem. These people love miracles because they think of it like a magic show or they think of it like, oh, this will really help me out. Sometimes they even ask him for it, but they don't embrace Jesus. I want you to think of all the, the gifts that Jesus has given you, right? I mean, this guy, he gave him something amazing. He gave him his ability to run and walk. You know what's even more amazing? He's given you that ability too. Think about it. The fact that you can run, that you can walk, that you can stand up. Guess whose fault that is, right? And that's Jesus's fault. You might think, well, it's not so amazing because there was never a time I couldn't walk. Oh yeah, there was, right? When you were a baby, right? You couldn't walk. You only learned to walk because Jesus let you walk. I know this sounds like a dumb conversation, but think about it, right? Everything that you have, God gave you. Here's what, the, here's what the Bible says. James chapter one, verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. That means it comes from God, from the father of lights in whom there's no variation, no shadow due to change, right? Everything we have comes from God. Colossians one says this. It says that Jesus is before all things and in him, all things hold together. We turn to that passage when we study John chapter two. We said, Jesus turned water into wine. It's because he holds everything together. He does everything. He does everything for you. Every breath you take is because of Jesus. Every time you've been able to stand up, all that energy, guess who it comes from, right? Comes from Jesus. Where's your food? You might say, oh, it comes from my food, right? Where's your food come from, right? It comes from the ground. Well, where does that come from, right? 
Jesus, right? Photosynthesis is from Jesus, by the way, um, right? The fact that our, our plants can grow and animals can grow up, right? That's all coming from Jesus. Jesus does all that. And because of that, we have a lot of gifts. I want you to turn to one passage. I want you to turn to this passage, Romans chapter two. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter two. You, we've been in John chapter five. Turn to Romans chapter two. This passage is really important for us to understand because I think it shows us what a lot of us miss when God does all these good things for us, we just think, oh, that must mean it's because we're good people. That must mean we're awesome or we're really cute. Well, probably doesn't mean you're cute. No offense, guys. <laughs> I'm just gonna let that one sit for you. You're like, wait, I'm not cute? I thought I was cute. My, my grandma says I'm cute. Well, yeah. well, let's see if Romans 2 says you're cute. Okay, check it out. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Or do you presume on the kindness, the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, and forbearance. That means he doesn't punish people when they deserve to be punished. And patience, right? Same idea. He doesn't punish people when they deserve to be punished. It says, do you presume on that? Do you think that you deserve that? He says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. All the kind things that God ever does, you know what that's meant for you and I to do? That's meant for us to stop, recognize that it's God, and for us to repent. What does the word repent mean? It means to turn around, right? Turn around from what, right? To turn around from our sin. To say we're not gonna sin anymore, right? Notice what Jesus said to the guy who was lame, who was healed. What did he say to him, right? He says, hey, Good to see you here. Uh, you're well. Um, stop sinning, right? Repent is another way of saying that. He says, you need to repent. All the good things I've done for you, Jesus says to this guy, he says, you need to repent. And here's the thing. Jesus has done more good things for you than he did for that lame man. I want you to really think about that. You probably have a better life than he does. God has done more good things for you. That means if he's shown us more kindness, that means we're even more responsible to respond to Jesus in repentance. I mean, think about it. You grew up in church, maybe some of you. Others of you, you might have Christian parents. You might have Christian grandparents. Right? God's given you a lot of good things. He's given you your small group. He's given you your small group leaders. He's given you the church. He's given you all that kindness. Now, are you going to repent or are you going to be like this lame guy who takes all of God's gifts and says, thanks, I'm leaving and walks away from Jesus? It's offensive to God. It hurts. I want you to imagine it's your birthday next week. Next Wednesday night is your birthday. Maybe it's not your birthday. It's not my birthday. But imagine it's your birthday. And on your birthday, during the day, you got a lot of awesome gifts. You got a lot, a lot of awesome presents. You maybe get, I don't know, something crazy like an iPad. Or you get something cool like a, you know, one of those like electric scooter. Like none of you get that. So, never mind. Uh, maybe an electric bike. Have you seen those electric bikes? Those are pretty cool. Um, you get something awesome and amazing and you bring all your presents to TNN next week and you bring them to your small group and you say, hey guys, I love this small group so much. I'm going to give you all of my birthday presents. I'm not even going to keep any for myself. They're just for us. We're going to enjoy them together. And they say, that's great. That's cool. Hey, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. See ya. Bye. Peace out. Right. And, and they take all your stuff and leave. Right. How would you feel about this whole idea of giving your birthday presents away? Right. You'll be honest. 
probably feel like that was really stupid, right? I shouldn't have given my, my iPad to my friends who took it and said, I don't want to be friends with you. Um, and that might sound dumb, that might sound stupid, but think about it. When God gives us his gifts, what's the most valuable thing that God ever gave to us? He gave us something that's so valuable to him. He gave us his son. He gave us Jesus himself. Here's what John chapter one says people did with Jesus. We already studied this, but it says, Jesus came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. They said, nope, I want your healing. I want your miracles. I want your gifts. I want all your stuff, but I don't want you. Here's the problem. That's what a lot of people in the narrow junior high ministry do every time they come to church. They say, I want God's gifts, but I don't want God. I want Jesus to make me feel better, but I don't want Jesus. I want to be healthy, but I don't want Jesus. I want his gifts, but I don't want to repent of my sins. I don't want to put my faith in him. Well, some of you might fall into the second category. John chapter one, verse 12 says, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, God's kids. Don't reject Jesus. Right? Please don't reject Jesus. We've only got two small group questions we're going to look at tonight, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We don't want you to reject Jesus. And I want to think about all those miracles that Jesus did were meant to make us believe in him more. Right? And the two small group questions we're going to look at, we want to ask, are we trusting in Jesus? Are we repenting of our sins like he called this lame man to do when he healed him? God's been so good to us. We need to respond with repentance. Let's pray. God would help us do that. God, thank you for making this so clear in your, in your Bible that you expect us, thanks to your goodness and your grace that you've shown us, you expect us to turn from our sins and trust you and believe in you. You know, it sounds so dumb if we brought all of our birthday presents next week to TNN and if our friends turned their back on us and said, we don't want to be friends with you, we'd find that really offensive. It must be how you feel when we turn our backs on you and don't embrace your son, the most valuable gift. I pray that you'd help us understand this and I pray that you'd help us see where we are. I know many of us might not know if we're saved or not. I pray that you'd continue to show us the truth about ourselves. I pray that you would save some people and they turn to you. We know that every time someone comes to you and they genuinely trust you, we know that you save them. So I pray that that would happen tonight with some of these students.